Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Dev Chen Symposium. I'm Yves Chen, and I'm Alex Severo. This is the place where interesting topics are discussed, ideas are examined, and culture are fused. All opinions are welcome, and we embrace beliefs from all walks of life, big or small. So let's just go ahead and get right into it. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Dev Chen Symposium again. And I hope everything is doing well and then being safe because the COVID、mm-hmm. cases are rising, ladies、yeah. and gentlemen. It's an incredible thing. Of course, the United States does have a very large population, and a lot of people are probably sick of all this quarantine stuff.、And、it's only natural that the COVID cases will rise. But still, everyone wear your masks, use your hand sanitizer, be smart, and just use common sense. Try to avoid this virus as much as possible. Definitely, definitely, and I assume everyone is still like you know doing Zoom meetings and companies related everything through virtual.、Mm-hmm. So、um, there are a lot of like communication is so crucial for you know virtual working environment. And this week we're gonna talk about in a organizational setting when to speak up and what you choose time to speak up and how you do it.、Mm-hmm. Now. Speaking up and when you choose how to do it, we're going to be approaching it in sort of a two-prong approach. On the one hand, it's the psychology. Sometimes there are many different factors that would cause a person to be a little bit silent. These have something to do with experiences, sociological experiences, psychological makeups and schemas. The other hand, it's also training your voice to be heard, so to say, and training your voice to be loud and training your voice to really have resonance. So that when you speak, people will hear you. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I think there are a lot of、uh, professionals told me that if you do have a really convincing voice, then the likelihood you will be heard is actually way bigger. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Also in theater as well, a lot of actors and actresses have to have very particular voices. They have to have、mm-hmm. very resonant voices, and also this is a. Sort of like a little tip that I heard from a man named Brian Blessed. I just watched an interview with him before we got on this podcast, and he said that the key to a lot of Shakespearean acting is to wet the lips and the tongue, because a lot of the、mm-hmm. old-fashioned Shakespearean actors would have to stop productions because their tongues would stick to the roof of their mouths, or their、mm-hmm. tongues would stick to their lips, and they wouldn't be able to speak. And of course, there are so many technique involved in order to, you know. Practice how to voice yourself, how to express yourself with a specific pace and tone in order for the audience to hear you perfectly and clearly.、Mm-hmm. Because human being, we're emotional beings, so a lot of the thing that we visually see, or we、um, verbally heard, or we directly get projected, will really make a big difference in or in what specific information that we actually receive.、Mm-hmm. Very much so. So if The first question I want to ask you is: In your experiences, were there any, for any times where you felt like you really need to say something, or you wanted to say something that was really crucial and important, but you didn't have the chance to say it, or you weren't able to speak up? And if so, what exactly stopped you from speaking at that moment? That is a very, very great question. So. It literally happens every day in an organizational setting,、really? in a corporate, especially because a lot of the chances in a company, in a team, there are a lot of politics going on, and sometimes like whether you are be able to talk 
or voice yourself or not really depends on what kind of position you hold, and that is really crucial. And secondly, like what is the environment for that specific team? I think that is even more important than what is the style and vibe in a company, because you usually interact with. Let's say tennis certain people within your team. So whatever environment is it opened or is it closed? Is it like chilled or is like very pol- politics driven? Really, the tone are set by the leaders, and within that specific situation. For example, if you feel previously, if somebody else void themselves and then their voice are not taking. Considering of seriously, or the leader does not have specific actions or dealing with this concern or problem or whatever properly, it will really prevent other people in the future to voice、mm. when they see, oh my God, there's a problem. Um, and a lot of chances people will let that problem ha- happen because there are a lot of insecurity for them to not voice up.、Mm. That's very very true, and that's also part of the reason why I'm a little bit concerned about. Corporate entities, and why I'm a little bit nervous about working in major corporate settings, is because of the hierarchy, respecting the chain of command, which is very、mm. important. But、mm. also just the general fear that if you speak out in disrespect towards the CEO, the CFO, or your superiors, that it might actually negatively affect you. And that's always is going、mm. to exist because you're trying to move up in the world, you're trying to advance yourself, and the last thing you want is somebody to create roadblocks for you, and somebody who's Going to essentially crush you before you even have the chance to grow. Exactly. It reminds me of a certain circumstance within the U.S. mafia and the Italian mafia, where the sense of being a made guy. And for those of you who may not know, being a made guy is essentially where you've already cut your teeth. Somebody has vouched for you, and you're a part of a particular group, like the Bonanos or the Colombos or one of the five families. And in this life, one of the major rules is that you cannot disrespect another made guy. If you're a made guy and the other guy's a made guy, you cannot insult each other. You cannot say anything bad about each other in public. But if you're in private, you can yell at each other, you can curse at each other all you like. But once those doors are open, you have to be best friends in the whole wide world. Yeah, definitely. It is. The things can be really complicated sometimes,、mm-hmm. um, and a lot of times, like that, it really is. Yeah, for example, one of my friends who, or in my previous company, she was literally doing three jobs,、mm-hmm. and she's a entry level assistant for a big exec. Um, she is her, she is the boss, like assistant, you know, like according to the job description, but she is also her personal assistant,、wow. and then also she do, for example, like. Her boss daughter's homework, and she added her boss daughter's resume, stuff like that, and you know it's sometimes really hard to voice yourself because that is the boss.、Mm-hmm. And she told me that her boss chose her out of so many people,、mm-hmm. and then she doesn't have that quite of the credential compared to other people. Her boss just saw really really great attitude in her, so she kind of like need to pay off in a way. And she herself really want to move into her position, but she really is afraid whether she's gonna piss her boss off or not. Whether you know she's gonna、mm-hmm. move into another department, and even say let's say she successfully move into another department, then、um, would a boss give the other department head great recommendation of her? So a lot of things just in her head all the time, and it's very just hard to、um, deal with it properly within a corporate setting. And not only just a corporate setting, let's say like smaller startups, when there are, for example, like tenish or twenty or thirty people in the team, it also so important because the leader is 
as we recognize as a leader. But the great thing about leader is to choosing when to speak up, acting as a leader, and when to step down. Let the people who has the expertise to speak and behave their own specialties.、Mm-hmm. It's very important. It's very interesting that you can sort of relay these experiences, and how even in a startup. There's still this kind of psychology that's there. There's still this sort of hesitation, this insecurity. Now, one question I want to ask you, Eve, is that: Do you think that this kind of methodology, this sort of train of thought, do you think that begins when young people, like girls and boys, when they're in primary school, do you think this is sort of taught and sort of woven into them and sort of forced into the children's minds? So that the children can become better students, and do you think that it starts with the teachers telling the students to stay in line, get with the program, and be a part of the norm? Definitely, you are touching upon a very important point in social science field, specifically sociology. So that's the topic of conformity and how rules or regulation or the so-called social norms are established.、Mm-hmm. Well, I am a true believer for this theory because I personally do believe when you're a little kid, you got taught to, you know, learn what color is better for boys, what color is better for girls. You know, as simple as that. And a little bit more complicated, you get to taught and learn. Okay, what do you do specifically? How do you get into the line? For example, getting your lunch at your kindergarten,、mm-hmm. and. Do you need to raise hand in order to voice yourself up, and how you do it, and what is proper, what is not proper? Everything is just a continuously co-social construction. So your personality, your way of discovering the whole world, you know, as psychology speaking, like the first two stages in or in your teenage year,、mm-hmm. is the years that you really adapting and simulating to the whole society, and you got pulled upon so many social norms. So many regulations and rules and whatever、um, that you kind of just have to behave,、mm-hmm. and you do it anyway because、um, you say what other people you do what other people told you to do or your parents、mm-hmm. because they're kind of the authority, you know, without knowing. Oh, there are more authorities. And when you're growing up, you're like, oh, so like there are a certain group of people doing things differently, and an authority is not necessarily the authority, and the rule is necessarily not the rule.、Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where a lot of conflict and realization, per se, comes out.、Mm, it's very interesting, and well, this is one of the ma- amazing things about you is that you're able to bring in sociology and th- theories of conformity. Every single time, <laughs> well, almost every single time, and it's just very wonderful to learn. And it reminds me about a very basic fact that people who do not conform and people who try to adopt their own identities. They end up being vilified at the end of the day. They end up being turned into bad people, and people who end up speaking up against all odds, or people who end up speaking out and try to make themselves heard in these kinds of situations, all the time they are viewed as sort of like rambunctious. They're viewed as being rather vile or very belligerent, and they end up labeling these individuals. And、mm. sometimes it can be deserved. Sometimes it's not.、Mm. But across the board, they're sort of. Put into this one group. For example, and really reminds me of Game of Thrones. Did you ever watch the、mm. Game of Thrones series? I did. Well, my dad is like much a bigger Game of Thrones friend than me. Okay. So, <laughs> but yeah. Do you remember a character named、uh, Tywin Lannister?、Mm-hmm. So Tywin's whole persona is that he is the richest man in Westeros. He is the most powerful man. He was the hand of the king. 
He has all kinds of different things. He's almost like the bugaboo of Game of Thrones mm-hmm. up until his untimely death. And the main key about Tywin is his presence. It asserts power. He's a tall man with a very deep th- throat, very deep voice. And he has such a piercing gaze at times. He very much looks like a lion. And there was this one key instance in Game of Thrones. And this is not a spoiler by any means. You can look it up on YouTube and not really like lose anything in terms of like, the surprise and suspense of the story. It's where Tywin is sitting at a table. And King Joffrey, who is just sort of standing nearby. He's like the Mad King, yelling at people, telling people that he'll kill them and kill them. And at one point, Joffrey says that I am the king. And Tywin says, mm-hmm. any man who must say I am the king is no true king. I'll make mm-hmm. sure you know that after I've won your war for you. And then Joffrey starts railing on Tywin and everything. But all Tywin has to do is give him a look. And he's looking Joffrey in the eye. And he's unblinking. And he, keep in mind, Tywin is sitting down at this point, And Joffrey is standing over him. But because Tywin is looking at him and he's not moving... He ends up saying a very particular set of words. And he only thinks he says, and that commands the entire room. He says, the king is tired. Show him to his chambers. And Joffrey is escorted out of the room. So just at those moments, speaking in a particular voice, looking around, and making sure people understand that you are a force to be reckoned with, and making sure people understand that they have to listen to you, that's very key to learn. And, of course, you may not necessarily want to use it in a manipulative standpoint or for any nefarious purposes, but it's still a very key trait to have so that in certain circumstances, if somebody's getting out of hand, if somebody's yelling at the top of their lungs and going all crazy and everything, and you are able to control them and you're able to make them shake in their boots sometimes and remind them that what they're doing is wrong, then that is a very powerful tool to have. That is very powerful to have, and especially when you're not a leader, when you are a employees, and um, what how you choose the best time to voice yourself, and whether you do it right now or you do it in a week, in two weeks, in a month, and how you do it, and how you mm-hmm. really in your setting respect other people, but also reveal the question and then bring out the best solution to do it. It's very complicated. It really depends on case by case. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I really hope that you can have a really thorough evaluation before you do so. Mm-hmm. And going back to a lot of conformity, there are also historically experiment and also theory related to it. For example, like the vision of responsibility, which is essentially, you may think, oh, you know, other people may do it. And other people may think, oh, other people can do it. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the world, is nobody can do it. Mm-hmm. So when everyone in the whole group has kind of like equal um, possibility to voice up, but not specifically dedicated to do so, mm-hmm. there's going to be the diffusion of responsibility and essentially nobody do it. <laughs> and also the bystander effect, right? Yeah. Um, if you are kind of like a third party position and then you witness the thing happen there's not such a uh, you know pressure or responsibility for you to do anything so you just kind of be there and do nothing mm. or like let's say the ashes conformity experiment so a long time ago this um really great scientist he was doing a experiment that you know 10 people nine out of 10 they are actors and actress so one is the specific you know like 
um, experiment related person. Uh. So those nine actors and then actress literally, for example, choose B while the actual answer is C. And then the answer is so obvious. It's like the simplest question ever. But when this person in group of 10 seeing all the other nine people are choosing B, even though that I'm super, super sure the answer is C and it's so obvious and it's not a hard question, then that person will actually conform to B. Wow. And then that person will believe that he himself is actually wrong because nine other people, they said C. Mm. You know, there must be something wrong with me. And um, that's the power of conformity. Wow. Which is very important and it plays out every single time. It's very powerful. And also, yeah, in organizational behavior, like how a leader asks questions is very important. Mm -hmm. the, the the worst question ever, please guess, in a team is what question? Ooh. What do you think is the worst question ever? Um, are you sure? No. <laughs> well, that's also not a good question. <laughs> but I will say personally, I think the worst question ever is, do you have any questions? Ooh. That is a bad question. <laughs> and guess what? That's silence. Yeah. Because the time span between, you know, after you raise that question and somebody needs to take the lead to accept the silence. Mm -hmm. You know, if there are three seconds silence and somebody jumps in, psychologically, there's a huge burden, yeah. you know, to disperse this huge silence, on, let's say, in front of the whole entire class. Yeah. Um, me personally, I think it's better for a leader to phrase in the question like, is there any concern that I haven't been discussed before? Or um, is everyone clear about the requirement responsibility? Or is there something that I need to clarify further? Mm -hmm. I think those will easily, you know, set up a really positive and, you know, low um, pressure going inside budget way mm -hmm. to kick off, you know, whatever concerns yeah. um, people have in their mind. Oh, man. That actually reminds me of a very particular instance when I was taking a... So talk about it. <laughs> I'm curious. I'm going to talk about the, a sociology course that I took called Sex and Gender. It was all about gender history. Oh, you took Sex and Gender? Yeah. I didn't know. Oh, yeah. Wait, it was which professor? Uh, I forget his name, but he was like a tall fellow with like curly gray hair, big beard, and glasses on. He was... He always laughed in a particular kind of way. It was almost like a... I really would have to say it's like a woodchuck or like a chipmunk who's just like... Ah. <laughs> and just laughing <laughs> like that. Wow. And essentially what would happen is we would do the readings. We would do everything that we needed to do in terms of like homework and papers and everything. We'd go into the class. First thing he would say is questions, if anyone had any questions. And we always had to have questions on hand. So we go inside first couple of days or so he would ask if anyone had questions and everyone would be silent and then at a certain point in time i realized that the more we asked questions the more time he would take to answer them and if he answered them a lot sometimes because we would have to take a quiz every single day we would go into class and one thing that would always occur is so there is no time to take the quiz exactly is that what so what i did <laughs> I would always be the first person to ask questions. So I'd be asking two to three questions, sometimes four questions in a class during one sitting. Everybody else would just have one or two questions. And next thing you know, class would run out of time. We wouldn't have to take the quiz. And he would end up having to push the quiz, push the quiz, push the quiz, push the quiz. And I think at one point, it was two weeks since we had our last quiz. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> 
Lucky you guys. Yeah, but it was actually really nice at the end of the day because he was one of those professors that didn't believe in conventional grading systems. He would mm. always grade on a curve. So if you scored, mm. I think it would have to be, there would be two graded papers, a midterm and a final. If you got a D on the midterm, an F on the paper, a 30 on another paper, and like a 40 on the final, you could still end up with a C. Because he ends up grading on such a curve so that the lower you go, the higher your grade will end up being, or the higher the curve that you'll end up getting. So I ended up getting an A in the course, but I ended up getting like C's and B's and D's and things like that. Oh, wow. But it really depends on like whether the people in the class really grabs this material, mm -hmm. right? Definitely. And I personally think, you know, related to our topic today, this specific instance, like he actually provide a... You know, pretty healthy environment for people to voice themselves and ask questions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, some part of it is like probably he already established that statement before. Yeah. Another reason probably like you guys just don't want to take the quiz. So uh, <laughs> you guys keep asking questions. And that's actually a positive stimulant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're probably not the only one. Uh. I promise you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's a wonderful thing I so, have to say. It's just... Being able to ask those questions and being in an environment where you can ask the questions. And also, this is another hesitation that people have. It's just like asking the questions and being afraid that they'll end up being looking like a fool. It's just asking a question and being afraid that the question, somebody might say, that's a stupid question or something like mm. that. That's a very, yeah, that's a really big concern. So, yeah, continue with this topic. Let me ask you. So what other um, feelings, like emotionally or rationally, that we will have if you we're debating like, oh, should I voice myself? Like, should I reveal this problem? Or should I ask this question? Like, what specific emotion-related stuff that you will have in mind mm. at that moment? Well, I guess one thing that may come into my mind, and this is just from being in school and doing things of that nature, is seeing what your friends would do. Because if your friends don't speak up, chances are you won't speak up because you trust your mm. friends to be of a particular Conformity nature. Conformity right here. Huh? conformity right here exactly well it goes even deeper than conformity because friends are people outside of your family that you trust they're people that you share a social bond with an intimate bond with and if they're being quiet you feel like you should be quiet as well because you trust that the way they live their lives is the kind of life that you want to live for yourself and also when you maybe if you're looking around the room and you're trying and this goes back to like visual indicators a little bit or maybe just like sociological indicators if you're talking to someone who has a similar background to you whether you come from the same city or maybe you come from the same place or your families come from the same place in the world or maybe you both enjoy a certain kind of food or something like that and you connect with someone or you see a person across the room and you know who this person is and you rely on them and their behaviors, and you take their cues from those behaviors, if they're being quiet, you will be quiet as well. Or maybe you just hear this reputation of the boss being this sort of like angry person, somebody who's very hot-tempered, very impatient. He enters the room, and or she enters the room. It could be either way in this case. Like the certain mm -hmm. boss will enter the room, and they will say certain words and say certain things, and you will be automatically afraid to speak because you're afraid of just making sure the volcano will burst. And it's in those certain circumstances where you're not really sure what the, who, what the boss is going to be like. And this is where it goes back to a famous quote by Orson Welles that says, ignorance is the ultimate authority. 
because just through sheer dumbness, you're able to do things that nobody would ever conceive of because you just don't know what will happen. And there's this wonderful story from a man named Mel Brooks who made all kinds of films like Blazing Saddles, The Producers, Young Frankenstein. He's a very funny guy. He worked for a company called Columbia Pictures, which was run by a ruthless man named Harry Cohn. And Harry Cohn was just one of those people who was yelling. He was just like very angry. He would snarl at people, yell at people at the top of his lungs. And Mel had no idea how Harry Cohn would behave. So he gets hired as a screenwriter to work on a couple of pictures. He was working with his best friend there. Next thing you know, he sees the office of his best friend getting scratched off. He sees the nameplate getting replaced. And he approaches his best friend. He's just like, hey, man, what's going on? And his best friend is going, I don't know. So they approach the guy who's scraping off the name. And it's just like, hey, what's going on here? Isn't he working here? And he says, no, he's not working here anymore. The head fired him. And they didn't even tell the best friend of Mel Brooks. And Mel is just sort of standing there going, they just fired my best friend without any warning? Well, this isn't going to fly. So he took all the names on the floor that he was on, swapped them with the names on the third floor, and took the third floor names, swapped them with the second floor, second floor with the first floor, and there was utter chaos. But then what ended up happening was Mel's boss essentially walked into his office and they said, Mel, you were seen. The janitor saw you. So they took Mel into the office of Harry Cohn, and the boss of Mel Brooks trying to protect Mel Brooks, starts talking to Harry. He's just like, Harry, Mel is very smart. He's a bright kid. We can make so much money off of him. Please don't fire him. And Harry said, I'm not going to fire him. Who said anything about firing him? I'm not going to fire him. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. I want him dead. And the thing about Harry Cohn, though, is that he had connections in the mafia. So if he said mm. he wanted somebody dead, Mel Brooks would You'd have You'd better take dead. it seriously. Yo. Yeah. And Mel said, well, I'm sorry, sir. I didn't mean it like that. And Harry said, oh, sorry? Well, you're not just going to be sorry. You're fired. How's this for a joke? You are finished. You're never going to work in Hollywood again. But turns out Mel Brooks had a very wonderful career in Hollywood after that. (laughs) And he ended up working for another studio and he made all of his films. But it's Mm -hmm. that kind of attitude where you're not really sure what the boss is going to do. And you end up doing this sort of things. And then when you finally realize it and you just sort of think to yourself, okay, well, that's just one guy. He's not as mean, snarling as anybody ever really told me about if anybody ever told me about him but Mm. now i'm just going to live my own life i don't really care i'll still find a way and that's what Mm. it comes down to yeah yeah and coming back to the point is so important for the boss and the leader to establish a healthy environment for everybody to just report and in a respectful and healthy way you know Mm -hmm. establish that vibe and ambience so the team overall can effectively tend to do through things better mm-hmm. and i remember um, in our class that we took all together roger i remember the first <laughs> day of class he said ask question and there's no stupid question even though the question could be stupid but it's not stupid to me yeah so in that way you know like the first day the leader said something um, announced to the whole class what his standard is and whether he's open or not mm-hmm. for everyone to voice themselves. If there's a problem, then speak up. If there's a question, then ask. And if you see something wrong, then you know, point it out. Yeah. Um, definitely. Oh, but you know, I wish there were more professors like that at, normal, at, at NYU. And <laughs> I it's know. just like a complete wash. I remember in freshman year, I had this one professor who was my writing the essay professor. You couldn't tell whether it was Christmas or Easter, day or night, by the way she was talking about her assignments and everything like that. She was a really nice person at heart. She really encouraged people to write. But I just had no idea how to write the essays that were there. 
and I couldn't take notes in the middle of class on my laptop. She said, no, you can't take notes on your technology or anything like that. But I personally needed it because I had Moses Center accommodations. I pretty much said, well, I need the laptop. That's how I take notes. But for some reason, because I was a freshman, it was like fall semester freshman year, right out of high school, I just didn't know how to tell her that. And at a certain point, it sort of got to the point where I ended up getting D's and F's on the papers and the assignments and everything. Oh. And I just couldn't write the essays and the work, but I didn't know how to approach it. You're them. a writer. Yeah. And that was the crazy wow. thing. And at the end of it, I ended up getting a C. But on final day of class, I ended up writing anonymous questions just like, so if a student had a Moses Center disability, would you be able to conform to it? And she ended up reading the questions just like, yes, Absolutely. But you have to be able to tell me about this. You should have somebody should have told me about this and everything like that. But she didn't know I was the one that wrote it. But I'm just there sitting there going, Well, four months had just gone by. I could have told her at any point that I had Moses Center accommodations. But why the heck didn't I do that? Oh, but yeah, at the end of it I ended up meeting another I think it was a young woman who was in that class with me. And I ended up seeing her at the Fresh and Co. right across the street from Tish. And I ended up talking with her. It's just like, hey, how are you doing? Good to see you. And she ended. I ended up asking her, well, how'd you end up doing in the class overall? And she said, well, it was a pretty fun course. I ended up getting a B plus. And I said, well, I actually ended up getting a C. I'm not sure if I had the same uh, experience as other people. She just looked at me with the biggest, widest eyes. And she was just like, how did you get a C? She's like the easiest grader. She's like the nicest person in the world. I'm just like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> That's just what happened. Uh. Wow. Yeah, people's standards are different. That's what I learned yeah. across so many different experiences, either in school, either in my work, or either in the creative industry, or, you know, wherever. It's just, yeah, there are a lot of people over there, and then people can surprise you a ton. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, establish, like, the common ground for everyone, like, feeling comfortable at least to jump in and say something. Mm -hmm. You know, like, being open is just so, 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 so important. Definitely. All right, so let's talk about methodology then after we discuss the why and how and theories and all that. So for me specifically, I will give myself a uh, matrix, to be honest, in order to evaluate because things can very be different mm -hmm. according to a lot of you know organizations or team or whatever situation that you are going on absolutely so for that specific instant that conversation if you're thinking about it oh should i have it or not then pull up a mattress and then like divide it into four and then on the xy zoom it could be um the advantages and disadvantages and then you can probably lay out for example what is the advantages for having that conversation right now what is the disadvantages for doing that? And also, what is the advantages for having that conversation in the future? Mm -hmm. And what is the disadvantages for having that conversation, for not having that conversation in the future? So in that way, you kind of like just write out your concerns. And then there are a lot of elements that you probably wouldn't immediately think of when you are intuitively making your decision. But when you write everything down, you can clearly see and if there are some time pressing situation, you probably should take care of it right now. Mm -hmm. And um, if there, let's say, if you are saving your voice for the next whatever big conversation you want to have, for example, today you see there is a problem going on with your team, but 
you want to save up your voice and credentials for next month if you want to have a race. So you probably sometimes you choose shut up this time、mm-hmm. because you want your voice to be clearly one hundred percent heard next time、Absolutely. when you have an even bigger problem to address. So like things like that, you really have to think everything through.、Um, and again, I will say every situation is different and really depends on how open and how welcoming your team environment is.、Mm-hmm. So yeah, make that decision yourself. Definitely, and also. At the end of the day, when it comes down to timing, when you should interject and everything like that, sometimes, no matter how your voice sounds, no matter how you think inside your head, you just need to go for it. There's an old Gujarati saying that if the goddess of wealth is at your door, don't go to the sink to wash your face. Say it right then and there, greet it right then and there, and pursue it. And also in terms of improving your vocal qualities, because as much as you can choose the right moments to speak. You also need to have the right strength of voice and the right sound of voice, so that when you speak, you speak with essentially a volume and with a timbre that demands people listen to you. And one basic key that you can definitely use, and this is all discussed in a TED talk, actually, the art of speaking to be heard. And、mm. one thing you can definitely do is roll your tongue a little bit. If you can't roll your tongue, then just practicing ba. P and T. Not sure if the microphone was able to pick that up, but basic Bs, Ps, and Ts, as well as saying your Rs, your Ss, and also just essentially working on developing your deeper tonalities. And also, this is a very important key to learn: is that when you're trying to speak in conversations and there's a lot of loud noises, you need to raise your voice, keep it loud for a very brief instant, and just. Really make it known that you're trying to say something, and then immediately afterwards speak in a regular tone. What that does is that people hear the louder tones; they're jostled by it. But if you continue speaking at that louder tone, you won't be able to sustain it, so to say. But when you speak at a regular tone, you still have the same impact as when you're speaking with a louder tone. And so that way, people will listen to you. People will hear what you have to say. And one example of this in film is in Lincoln, when Daniel Day Lewis's character is talking to the members of the cabinet, and he's saying, "A house divided against itself cannot stand." And he just gets really loud at one point. He bangs the table, but then he speaks in a very calm manner, and he's pointing at everybody and addressing everybody within the room. Definitely, those are really, really important techniques. And the more you do it, the better you're gonna be. So.、Mm-hmm. Exactly. Practice can always make things better,、yep. and practice is never enough. Though、so、<laughs> there are more stuff, more things, more challenges that you just don't know what to do.、Absolutely. But the thing is, whenever you face it, you figure it out.、Mm-hmm. And if there's some variation happen, you figure it out again. Yep. So that's how you do it, and that's what's your approach. So as we approaching the end of the episode, I hope today's the discussion. Which is meaningful to all of you, and I hope that、um, really triggers some of the thinking and、um, maybe some feedbacks or like maybe some relative experiment experience that you have before.、Mm-hmm. So feel free to share everything with us, and then tell us what's your story about. What is the time that you were afraid to speak up, and how you speak up, and whether you did or not did it?、Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can feel free to shoot us a message on Facebook, Instagram, or essentially. Any kind of social media platforms, pretty much everywhere at this point. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. We look forward to hearing you tune in. Well, tune in next week.
and we look forward to hearing your responses. Have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Bye bye.